God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, uh, man, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your sovereignty and the fact that you're in control even when it feels like the world isn't. Um, Lord, these are such strange times that we live in. And a lot of, <laughs> going all the way back to two years ago um, when the world shut down um, to now when the world feels crazy. And um, man, you have stayed the same. And I pray, God, that people in this room, all of us, could rest in that. Uh, Lord, I pray that everyone would recognize the fact that they're here intentionally today. Lord, that there is no coincidence, there's no accident that they were meant to be here, um, that you have a purpose for that. And Lord, there's comfort in that. And I pray that you would make it abundantly clear to everyone in this room uh, why they're here today and what you want to say to them. I pray for the hard-hearted. I pray for the hurt, the broken, the lost, the unchurched, the dechurched, and everything in between. Um, Lord, that you would do what you've done from the beginning and just heal your people, uh, the people that humble themselves and turn to you. And Lord, there's people in this room I have no doubt in my mind are lost. Uh, they don't know you. And maybe they know of you, but they don't know you. And I pray that today, whatever's been hindering them uh, would melt away in the presence of your love and grace and mercy. And I pray, God, you would help me to preach your word and only your word, uh, and that wouldn't get in the way. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. Well, hey, welcome. You guys, if it is your first time in a while, or the first time ever, good time to be here, because we're starting a new series. Um, so I, we did this series a long time ago. You probably don't remember that, Jill. It was like your first year, even. She gave me the fake smile. She gave me one of these, you know, the church smile. Uh, but yeah, we did the parables a few, several, several years ago. 2015, actually, I went back. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the parables of Jesus. Now, before... I start, it's important for us to understand that uh, how important Jesus, how important parables were to what Jesus' message was, to his, the way he did things. Uh, Mark 4, 33 and 34 tells us pretty clearly, here it comes, uh, <clears throat> with, so, with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. That's really powerful. He did not speak to them without a parable, without using a parable. Now, if Jesus thought it was so important that it says he didn't speak to them without using one, it's probably pretty important to us. So, what is a parable? Well, a parable essentially means, that the phrase itself would mean cast alongside. <laughs> you guys gonna, we gonna get that? We put that, thank you. We're running a little high today. Cast alongside, okay? So, what that means is, is it's a story used to, as an analogy or teaching aid to illustrate a heavenly truth. I'm going to start screaming. You better wake up. I see you, sleepies. I'll do it. I'm crazy, man. This, I'm not a normal person. I will come down right now and clap in your faces, okay? Because if I got to stay up here for half an hour, you're going to stay here for half an hour and stay awake, all right? Let's try again. Are we awake? Yeah. All right. I, you know what's funny? Someone in this room thinks I will not come down. And that's what's the funny thing. I pr and then you're never going to come again. You'll be like, that, that pastor, that darn pastor, how did he do that? I'm just telling you now, right? You have been warned. So when I see this, I'm going to come down. I'm going to throw an M&M &M in your mouth, and then we're going to move on. So let's try this again. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> All the sleepy people will be like, ooh, good. Uh, a story uses analogy or teaching aid to illustrate a heavenly truth. So there's kind of an old phrase, something along the lines of, um, man, what is it? It uses an earthly, uh, an earthly example to teach a heavenly truth. <clears throat> and they're important and help us understand deep truths in a deeper way. 
to know the heart of God, to know his kingdom, what it's supposed to be, what it's going to look like, and to know his view of us. If you want to understand in a deeper way, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, or whether you're just here because somebody invited you and you don't, you're not really a believer, you're somewhere in between. If you want to know what God thinks about you, what this whole thing's about, that's found in these parables. He explains it in a way for us to understand. Now, here's the challenge for us. A lot of the parables he was using to speak to them in their world and their culture, right? Makes sense. We don't do a lot of, maybe any, any wheat farmers in here? No? Okay. Sheep herders? <laughs> yeah, but that's okay because it still is able to illustrate a truth that in a human way. Make sense? Uh-oh, I'm seeing some people not paying. Trevor, please don't make me come down there, bro. Thank you. <clears throat> so, makes sense? Everybody kind of get the gist of what a parable is? Awesome. So, I want to now put that aside for a moment, and that's what we're going to do today. I want to ask you, this is unrelated, but I'm going to use a parable right now. My own parable of Todd. It's not blasphemy because I'm not saying it's in the Bible. <clears throat> if I had a 25-pound gold bar, I actually looked this up. 25-pound gold bar, guess how much that costs? Anyone know? S- way more. $628,000. Assuming it's average. If I had a 25-pound gold bar using the average cost of the American dollar, $628,000. <clears> Who would want that if I had one and I gave it to you? The rest of you folks just don't want to raise your hand. If I came to your house and said, here's a gold bar, you're not going to go. I'm not interested in gold bars. All right? So I want to ask one more time. If you would take a free 25-pound gold bar. Oh, okay. I, I hope I get rich. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to, put, I'm going to remember the people that didn't raise you. I'm going to say, you want a gold bar? And you go, yeah. I'm going to go, no, you didn't. And I'm going to leave. All right? <laughs> a $628,000. Of course you'd want it. All right, now stay with me. I know it's going to be a silly question. Let's say you're a treasure hunter. What if the gold bar was in a pig pen under all the pig poop? <laughs> pig poop. Would you still want it? Would you? Raise your hand if you'd still want it. Bree, you're not getting any gold. I see you. You're not getting a single piece of gold, right? All right, what if the gold bar was found in a sewage system? I told you down there, you look, you kind of see it glint. It's in the sewage. All the muck, the toilet paper, it's nasty, David, right? It's in there. Would you, if you knew right now, who would be willing to go down and get it? Some people wouldn't. <laughs> I love it. Now people are like, well, now, we're, now we're talking sewage. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, who would still want it? Who would still want it? It's got muck. Maybe you don't want to go down. It comes up right now. I know it's hard. It's kind of silly, but put yourself there. Would you still take it even if it's got all that nasty sewage stuff in it? Okay, what if it's at the bottom of a porta potty? Would you take it? That's, it? that's harder than sewage, isn't it? Yeah, it's sitting. <laughs> that was so funny. She goes, that's a hard one. I'm not sure. Yes, right? Yeah, some people are going, eh, and that's good. That's, that, it's getting harder. <laughs> that was so funny. I'm going to remember that. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, would you be willing, who would still be willing to like, I'm going to dive down in there. If I knew it's in there, 100%. By the way, I'm with you. I'm jumping in that porta potty 100%. I'll go head first if I know it's down there. Bye-bye student loans. Anyway, all right, now, listen to me. Listen to me. Say I came to give you the gold bar. This is a little different, a little more serious. What if I told you, what if the gold bar had been used to smash up someone's car? Say with me, right? It's, hey, I was given this. It was handed down to me by my great uncle Bob. Okay, and he was a criminal. He used this to smash up a car, and like he was a serial car smasher. All right, and he used gold bar. I don't know why. Right, a crime. Would you still want it? <laughs> Some of you are like I wouldn't do that. The sewage, yes, but okay, fine. What about okay? Stay with me. This is gonna get. I don't mean to be grotesque. Let's think about. It. What if you knew 
Now, it's not creepy. I just somehow was handed down to me, and it had been used to kill someone. Someone in a fit of rage. Who would still take it? Now, it's, some people are like, I don't know about that. Are you afraid it's haunted? Is that what the fear is? Anyway, right? No, some of us, it would stop us, right? Because of what? The stigma that comes with it. <clears throat> but a lot of you raise your hand, by the way, I'm with you. I'd still take it. What if, now this is where it gets a little weird. What if, Lord forbid, something happened to a loved one and this gold bar was the weapon used to kill them? Would you want it? So raise your hand. Some would, some wouldn't. That's fine. That's good. No judging in that. I'm just asking. Some people... Those of you that raised your hands, and even if you were like, I'm all the way up to the sewage or the porta potty, whatever, why would none of these situations deter you from wanting the gold bar? Right? Why? Yeah, because its value, now you're trying to be like, you're trying to preach? Because its value isn't determined by where it was found. Now stay with me. I know you long-term Christians, you're like, I already know this point. Stay with me. Because its value isn't determined by where it was found, where it's been or even what it's past involved. The, the value, the sad truth is, Lord forbid, right, again, but if that gold bar had been used to kill a family member or my favorite dog, at the end of the day, if that gold bar went to auction, it's still going to get the same amount of money as it would if it had done nothing, as, as it would if it had been used as the cornerstone in a church building. It would still have the same value because the value comes from its intrinsic worth. Gold is gold regardless of what happens to it. Regardless of what it's used for, regardless of its past, regardless of anything, gold is going to be worth the value of gold. We all know that gold is gold. Circumstances don't change its makeup. It doesn't matter if it's used as a weapon, doesn't matter if it's used as a lampstand, doesn't matter if it's used as a porta potty holder. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, gold is gold. Keep this in mind because I'm going to come back to this analogy, okay? Our first parable is actually a set of parables. Now listen, if you're already half asleep, you're going to be in trouble because we got a big section to go through. Now I've broken it up. Trevor, I will come down here and pay attention. All right, so this long, <laughs> this long section, but this first set of parables, our first parable is actually a set of parables that's going to indirectly discuss how God views worth. How God views worth. Listen to me. The God of the universe, the creator, if you're a Christian, how that God views worth, and here's the thing, how much he values his creation, which means how much he values you. Now, here's the thing. Some of you in this room aren't Christians. Some of you might even be pretending to be. And if so, a lot of times we'll get to that at the end. It can be because I know my past and all the things I've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, did you know even if you don't love him, he still values you? Isn't that interesting? That even though you might be in the muck and the sewage, we're going to find out that God still values you. That you still have worth to him. So we're going to start. <clears throat> this is one of those ones. <clears throat> allergies. That... Uh, that I, I told the, the, the crew here, we do a pre-service meeting, I said, honestly, I could just get up here and read this and walk away, and that's it, because it's so good, right? It's all good, but this is, this is such a complete story. So as we go, pay attention to this first section. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now that there's a Luke in this church, every time I say that, I think of him now, and that just, I just hate that. I'm just kidding. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 first. <clears throat> Sorry, Jill. So, 
um, this is important. Start right here. So keep in mind, guys, a lot of times when sections are broken up in your Bible, we tend to think they're like different episodes. Make sense? They're like different episodes of, uh, of a story. Like, okay, well, the next day he did this, right? Our minds just naturally go, one minute he did this, the next day he did this. This is all at one time. So let's stay here. Let's go. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Pause. It's important you know context. To us, we're like, what's he have? You know, what's his issue with the IRS? Here's the problem. A tax collector in this case is a Jewish, right? Believe, a Jewish person who was working for the Roman government. So they were viewed as traitors to the Jewish people. They would be, I am not going anywhere near that person. That person hates his own people. He's a traitor. And on top of that, they had good reason. A lot of times, say that the Roman government, it's uh, tax is $10, right? All the Roman government cares about is if they get their $10. If I charge you 15 and I keep five and they get their 10, everything works great. And I can't really complain because they speak with the authority of the Roman government. Makes sense? So on top of being a they, they, they were looked as just horrible people, traitors. So when it separates the two, sinner and tax collector, traitor and bad people. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Him is a capital H. Who do you think we're talking about? Yes. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Who were the Pharisees and scribes? The religious elite. These were the good people. They were, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. It's very important that you remember that this entire, these three parables are in relation to this specific comment that the Pharisees and the religious elite made. It's all in response to this. Keep that in mind. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The good people are saying he not only welcomes them, meaning he'll teach them, he goes to their house, he sits down and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So let's talk about this story. So Jesus, in relation, I love it. He never just goes, I'm going to tell you. He just says, hmm, I'll tell you a story. What man among you, which of you, if he has a herd of sheep and loses one, won't go looking for the one he lost? And when he finds it, He's going to put it on his shoulders to carry it back, and he's going to be excited and say, look, I found my lost sheep. The number of something valuable we have doesn't diminish the value or importance of the individual. Think of it this way. Put it in terms for you, okay? You have $1,000 bills. You lose a $100 bill somewhere in your car in your house. How long are you willing to spend to find it? Two minutes? I'm going to be there all day. Right? Some of you, maybe you're richer than me. That $100 is a big deal, right? I'm going to take it. I'm going to look for that. And then when I find it, and don't, you know, some of us, like, if we find our lost sock, we get excited. Look, I found it, right? We get excited when we find the things that are lost. So this story is, let's, let's think about who's who here. 
So Jesus is right now telling us, he's, there's some different scenarios here. Who are all the sheep? It's all humanity. It's all people. Okay? He have a hundred sheep, and he loses one, so it's lost. It's ran off. Who's the one that ran off? It's the sinner. It's the one that's walked away from the shepherd. Whether it got lost, got taken, ran away, got scared, it doesn't matter. It's ran from the herd. The 99 in this case are the religious elite. They're the ones that stayed why do I know it's the religious elite as he comes back to 99, like who it is? It's not just all other people because this can kind of be discouraging to you because you're like, well, he's not happy when I'm righteous? That's not the point. <clears throat> this man welcomes sinners. The religious elite had already decided the value of the people Jesus was spending time with and ministering to. They had said, they're sinners, they're traitors, they're bad. They had set themselves where? In the place of God. Only God is holy. Only God is good. And they determined, determined because of their laws that they were above them. Here's the thing. That last sentence is very important. I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Anybody in this room not need repentance? Any of you completely righteous? Some of y'all want to raise your hand? No. Listen, here's the point. It's a trick. The reason he doesn't... That he, the heaven doesn't rejoice over the 99 that don't need repentance is because it doesn't exist. The 99 who claim they don't, they're not sinners, that claim that they haven't made mistakes, that claim they don't need God, there's not any joy in heaven over those people. It's a trick question. It's a trick response. They, are, they instead of allowing God to give them righteousness, the only one who can truly make one holy, they have chosen self-righteousness. You with me? And God is saying the joy comes from those who, who recognize their need for the shepherd, who recognize their need for the Savior, and turn to him and repent. Repent means turn away and go back, and heaven rejoices. So there's two lessons here. One is it doesn't matter how lost someone is. When they repent and come home, heaven rejoices. They're, they're, they, they don't think about the fact they were lost. They don't worry about if they were in the porta potty God is just overjoyed to bring them home. And then there's another warning here about the 99 who think they're righteous on their own. It reminds me of a section where Jesus says, right, Jesus healed the blind man. And you, you got to remember, they even called people sinners who had diseases, incurable diseases, because they believed that the sins of that person's father somewhere in the past had passed down to them, so they're unclean and evil and bad anyway. Maybe it's nothing they did. <clears throat> And so what he's telling them here is, as I tell you in the same way, the room you have over uh, one sinner repents and 99 righteous people, is the reality is, going back to that story, is when he healed, they, Jesus healed the blind man. They kick him out, and Jesus says to them, they say, man, it's a good thing we weren't blind. Right, Jesus? Man, it's, it's, isn't it nice that we aren't infected with sin like them? And this powerful statement he says, it's not going to be up there, but you can go look it up. He says, you're right, because if you were blind, I could help you. But because you say you see, I can't help you. There's a danger, even among Christians, that sometimes we forget that in all of these stories, there is never a moment, no matter how long you've been a Christian, listen to me, there is never a moment in which you are the one teaching with Jesus. You are never 
standing with Jesus, teaching everyone else. You are always in relation to God, the sinner in need of a savior. That's so important. We can forget that sometimes. Moving on. The point of this verse isn't that it's possible to be righteous enough to not need repentance, but it's actually the opposite. It's the sinner's recognition of his or her need for repentance that leads to the joy in heaven. A self-righteous person's belief they're above repentance is what will prevent them from seeing the joy in heaven. Let me make that in layman's terms. A self-righteous person's inability to admit their wrong, admit their sin, face who and what they are, is the exact thing that will prevent them from entering the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Listen, and this is important. Everyone in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the thing. The wages of sin is death. It's funny, when you talk to someone, I have family members, you talk to them, the first thing they want to tell you is all the good they are, right? All the good things they've done. We, we have to stop. You, you, if you want to live by human standards, then you will be judged by human standards. There is only one holy person. There is only one who is righteous enough, just enough, good enough, holy enough to stand in judgment over everyone else. Only one. And that is God. So, we could stop right there, right? But we're not. We're going to keep moving. Go on to uh, verse 8. We're on 8 through 10. This is the same thing. There's no, no mention of like they move on. So this is, Jesus is one after another. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her women, friends, and neighbors. That's funny. I made sure to say just her women friends. Her women friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. You think that's just symbolism? I don't. I believe that heaven rejoices when one of God's lost turn back to him and are saved. I mean, it tells us right here. There is joy. The angels rejoice. So let's think about this parable. It's a short one. He talks about, okay, she's got 10 coins. I kind of did this with the $100 bills, right, Matt? That's what I did pretty much. You lose a $100 bill, you going to look for it? He's like, maybe, yeah, right? Ten silver coins. She drops one in the house. I've done this. This is my life in every capacity because I lose everything, all right? Everyone's behind the remnant house. Goes, yeah, he does. I lose everything. My phone. I've literally the other day, I found my phone, and then I lost. What, did I, what do I always tend to lose other than my phone, guys? You my keys. That's it, yeah, keys. Um, I got a, one of those attachments for the back of my phone so I wouldn't lose my wallet, but then I just lose my phone. So it didn't help at all because I used to lose my wallet, my phone, and my keys. Now I just lose my phone, which is my wallet. So I still, I, I, I think it's a, a victory, though, because I've cut it down to two things, really, right? Listen, this, <laughs> this, this story strengthens the point of the first parable, right? One right after the other. It's essentially almost the same story. Here's the point. How far, and be real with you. With yourself. I always think of this one moment. I'm just going to tell you exactly where it was at. The Marathon Station. Okay? The Marathon Station that also serves as a Dunkin' Donuts here in Columbia City. I was there getting gas. I will never forget this. I think it was on a Sunday. I went, and this is a classic thing I do. I went to get gas. Okay? And I believe I actually was able to, no, no. I got out and I cleaned my car out real quick. Then I was getting my car to go. I think some of the guys might have been with me. And I'm like, okay, it's time to get gas. And I can't find my car. My card is gone. 
I searched everywhere, because eventually I get mad, and I'm like, I will literally rip out everything in this car. So I took the time. I, I don't know how long I was there. I took out the, the carpets. I took out every single thing that was in there. I rammed the seats back and forth, jammed my hand everywhere. I had four or five guys looking for stuff. Then I did the unthinkable. Ironically, I didn't think of this. I went and go, there's only one other option. I threw it in the trash, right, when I was cleaning. So I dug, and this is my life. The marathon trash that day was filled to the brim and I promise you I'm not lying tobacco spit there was like oh it was just nasty even thinking about it and I was digging I was just pulling a lid just and there are people pulling up going you know like, I'm digging in the trash like maybe there's something to eat it doesn't matter I'm looking in and I still don't find it I literally probably spent an hour at that gas station in front of that looking for my debit card eventually I found it just slid right between the seat on the other side, the seat that I'd pulled back and forth 25 times. That's another point. But here's my, here's my thing. Look how far I was willing to go for a debit card. And when I found it, I was, I was angry at first. But then I was like, yes, look, everyone, we found it. As I cleaned the tobacco spit off my hands. We will go to great lengths to find something of value. We'll spend time. We'll look in every nook and cranny. We'll move things around. We will sacrifice to find something that's lost. Right, Tangie? Is that true? You think that? We will sacrifice to find something that's lost. I'm just saying names. Nobody's in trouble except her. Uh, just kidding. We will spend time looking in every nook and cranny. We will sacrifice to find something. Here's the key. This is so important. If it's a penny, I'm probably not going to spend time looking for it, right? Because I'll just be like, I'm going to find one on the ground. I'll just get out and, and look for one on the ground. But the more valuable the item lost, the more we are willing to sacrifice to find it. All right? Right? You'll sacrifice more and time to look for the $100 bill than the dollar, right? If I had just lost a dollar that day, I'd have still been upset, but I probably spent 30 minutes, right? And I, wouldn't, I would definitely not have went into the tobacco spit. The more valuable the item that we lose, the more, willing, the more we are willing to sacrifice and the more we rejoice when we find it. We celebrate when it's found. There's, a, there's one extra little tidbit here that differentiates it from the first parable. One addition as we build on. Here's the thing. Jesus was subtly implying that despite what these religious elite thought or said, that God, that he himself, first of all, but God too, that these sinners were just as valuable to God. How do I know that? He didn't say there was a bronze coin and a silver coin, did he? He said he had 10 coins, 10 silver coins, Equal value, and he lost one. He didn't say, hey, here are the Pharisees, you know, and the Sadducees, and all the religious elite, and here are the bad people. They're all the same value. So here's him building on it. He's saying, hey, it's lost, but here's the other thing. You're just the same as them. You see how he's building? First, it started with um, 99 people don't need repentance, and they're going, hmm, who are those 99? And then he goes, oh, 10 coins. Hmm, he lost one. Wait a minute. Are you saying I'm the same as them? Are you with me or asleep? What? <laughs> I know you are, Juju. <clears throat> All right. We're going to move on to the biggest section. And this is a famous part, and there's a lot to it. Start at verse 11. Same, same moment. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Pause. <sighs> this would be like going to your parent. And saying, hey, just give me, um, let me try to put it in a different term. Hey, uh, you know that life insurance policy? Let's go ahead and kill you and take it, right? 
I mean, it's not exactly murder, but it's the same thing. It'd be like asking them, I just want what I'm going to get when you die. Give me what I'm going to get. And how do we know that? How do we know at that moment that's all he wanted, that he valued what he was going to get more than the relationship with his father? Listen, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. He took his money to Vegas, blew it on the slot machines, and then all of a sudden, depression hit. There's no food, there's no money, he's ran out of places to stay. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country. He's in a foreign country, not home. Who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods. That's literally just the the shell of a seed. Just what's left over. The pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. At this point, he was viewed by these people. Maybe he, who knows what shady things he did when he blew his money, right? But we know that they looked down on him enough. Maybe he was the outsider. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't even let this guy eat their trash. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. So essentially, and there's humility here. He says, listen, I know dad's not going to accept me as son again. But maybe he'll let me be like a worker. Maybe he'll at least let me stay out in the servant quarters, you know, and maybe then I'll at least get my portion of corn or whatever, right? I'll I'll have something to eat. He is already in his mind, and it's not, I don't think he's feeling sorry for himself. I think he's literally accepted, like, I deserve what my father's going to do here. Because otherwise, he would just go and manipulate him, right? Dad, I'm your son. No, he, he's just hungry. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, love, and action. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Let's pause. Now, some of this we get. Modern world, no self-respecting elder. No self-respecting leader of a family, no self-respecting Jewish man is going to run, right? They wore robes and sprint and then kiss his son. It's not going to happen. By the way, are all the hired hands watching him? Right? The hired hands go, hey, look, it's that that son who who screwed his father over. It's his son who who ran off. It's his son, the the mess up, the screw up, uh, the troublemaker. It's the thief. It's the liar. Look at that. Man, he's in trouble now. And then see him. Imagine now the embarrassment. See, some of you, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't run. Some of you all, some of you all won't run, right? You wouldn't run in general. I, I ever see people try to cross the street. This drives me crazy if this is you, right? There's a car. If you're hurt or something, it makes sense. And you're stopped for them and they just go, right? I jog. If I'm on my way to the gym and there's a stop sign, I'm going to jog there. A lot of people don't because they don't want to look silly. That's the real reason you don't want to run. <laughs> That's the truth. <clears throat> and you definitely aren't going to kiss your son in public, especially your son that punched you in the face, whatever you want to say. But he did. This is important. Ask yourself this. I think you already know, but who's the father? Who's the father in this parable? Who's the father in this story? You don't have to tell me yet. Don't ruin the punchline. I said, think about it. <clears throat> the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't think he's manipulating. I think he believes that. How many of you in this room, the biggest issue in your faith is you feel like you're not good enough? You feel like you've done things 
wrong. You've messed up. Yeah, you're saved, but he doesn't really want you in the house. He just has to keep you. It's not about his love for you. It's about he's got to keep his word, but if he didn't, he'd throw you out. I do. Sometimes I feel like, like you know, the, the cinder fella, right? I'm allowed to stay in the house, but he doesn't really like me there. And it's because of things I've done or things people say I am. It's hard, isn't it? It's sometimes hard to drive out those voices of the crowd that's calling you all those things, telling you what you are, screw up, mess up, sinner, mistake, all those things. And even louder is my own, the voice in my own head, right? That can't forgive myself. Who's the father? Who's the son? But the father told his slaves, so he turns around as they're talking after he kisses him, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Man, he had no, he's probably had no clothes. For all we know. Then bring the fattened calf for us. That's like, what? That's the best calf they have. And slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That is such a powerful sentence. Foreshadowing, isn't it? Trying to get us to understand the kingdom. He was dead and is alive again. Now his older son was in the field. This is the responsible son who stayed. This guy gets a bad rap a lot. That's not fair. He did the right thing. And a lot of us put ourselves in a position to say, I would never be like that. And yes, you would. Because it's not fair. What happens? The older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He was in the field working while they were partying. So he summoned one of the servants and said, and asked what these things meant. Oh, your brother's here, he told him, and your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, now we know what he did with some of it. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. You wouldn't even give me the fattened calf when I asked you for it. When I asked you to party to give me something, you gave me the goat. A young goat. Did he still give him something? A value? And this is beautiful. Listen, son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He said it again, the same sentence. So a couple things about this brother. One, we can understand where he came from. He did the right thing. In fact, sounds like he's so responsible. He, he didn't even look around to see where the workers were. He just kept working until the day was done and came back up and heard a party going on. Now, here's the other thing. He's upset, but did he go into the party and ruin it? Did he kick the door down and scream and cuss at his dad? No. He must have loved and respected his dad enough that he just stood outside. The father saw that he was upset and came to him. Love, does he love that son? Of course he does. And... Sounds like his father came out and pleaded with him. Means he had to probably say, tell me what's wrong. He's like, nothing, dad, nothing, everything's fine. No, tell me what's wrong. And finally he tells him, this is unfair. You need to see this with humans. Jesus was making a point because he was talking to humans about humans. He wanted us to see that human conditions, human fairness, that God's grace is so great that it's not about being fair. 
that God's grace is so radical that it's going to seem unfair. But it only seems unfair if you start to think that you're the one teaching with Jesus. If you start to think, even, you ready? That you were the elder son. This is very important. You are all the prodigal son. You are all the prodigal son. You were all lost. You weren't born saved. You were lost, and then you're found. Well, Todd, what do you mean? There's a story here about the the one who's right. There is, but you need to start when you read this parable with understanding that you always start as the prodigal son. Now, over time, you might be, you might need to be the elder son. You've been here doing the right thing for a while, and sometimes you look over, and, and now he's talking to the Pharisees, isn't he? He's saying, oh, you're doing the right things, but you need to celebrate. Don't you care that your brother was dead and is now alive, is lost, was lost, and now is found? Everyone knows this story. Prodigal son, it's famous. But the problem with familiarity is it breeds contempt. You ever heard of that? You're like, I don't contempt the story. I don't hate the story. But you do when it stops losing its meaning. Sometimes we're so familiar with stuff that we think we don't need it anymore. This story and these parables are so powerful. And there are two different people that it's speaking to. I'm going to talk to the first, the first one, right, in this room. What do we know? Maybe you sinned and messed up. I'm talking the big ones, right? Maybe... You know, in Christianity, divorce used to be the big one. Now it's still, you're, you kind of feel like you're looked at differently, right? But, but we've moved on. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe, maybe uh, something you did became public. Maybe you've cheated. Maybe you've lied. Maybe, maybe uh, you come from a family where it has a reputation. Maybe you've got a secret thing you've been doing that you don't tell anyone. Whatever it is, it's the thing that makes you, at the end of the day, if you're really honest, it makes you avoid coming home. Because even though you need him, even though you're his child, you don't want to go home because even though I'm reading this parable to you, you still believe that he's angry, that he's more angry than he is excited about you coming home. The problem with this kind of stuff is sometimes it's decisions we've made 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it tends to not leave, right? It just stays in there. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Maybe you're not living a life. You're a a son, you're a believer, but you're not living like a son. You've ran off and you're squandering your inheritance and you think, well, I have to stay here because I have nowhere else to go. I can't go home. And some of you, it's not the big thing. I hear that all the time. Well, I don't have a huge sin. Okay, well, maybe it's you're not perfect enough. You're not good enough. Maybe you weren't good enough to be loved. Maybe you were the one cheated on. And that what ends up happening is we begin to think our value is the external circumstances around us or the things that we've done. And even in Christianity, we've created a club where we're never going to admit this, but we've got a ranking system. We all acknowledge that we're sinners, right? But we never acknowledge a specific sin Because if we say that, then everyone's going to judge us. Well, we're all sinners. What's your sin? (laughs) Sometimes I'm a little prideful. Not your addiction. Not your hateful attitude. This ranking system ends up infiltrating our faith. Because here's the reality. A lot of times the church with a capital C doesn't follow the Bible. It does say that there's things that are unforgivable. 
It does say that God's desire is to, is, is to condemn. That he's looking to condemn. And maybe that's you. I'll use the example again. I got canceled over it. It's so indicative of Christianity. Everybody knows about the pastor situation that happened in Warsaw. It was big news. All I said, all I said was, is that we can love the victim and still hope that someday, that one of two things, either this pastor was never a believer or that he messed up. And either way, the desire is for his restoration, his salvation, that God wants that, that we can want both things. And they came from my head. And some of you might have been right there with him. How dare I? The problem is, if you're in that position, is you are woefully mistaken about who you are in the story of life. You are never Jesus protecting the adulterer. You're never the people getting ready to stone her. You are the adulterer. You have been caught in the act. You are never, ever, ever in a position to look at someone and say they are too far gone. Well, Todd, what about blah, blah, blah? Sin and blah, blah, blah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God does not desire to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Two groups of people. There's the people in the room who never feel like they're good enough because the church game tells you, tells you you're not. And the really sad thing is that I hear it all the time. Well, I'm not into church. You know, I love Jesus, but I'm not into church. Unfortunately for you, because I was with you in that, we don't get that option. But I understand the feeling. The church just seems like a game, a masquerade. Let's all put masks on, pretend. It's not about working through sin. It's not about becoming more like Jesus by admitting the truth of who we are. It's about pretending that we're the Pharisees. It's like pretending that we're cured you don't want to be a part of it because deep down, some of you are the most humble people because you know you can't meet the standard. It's inevitable. They're going to see the cracks. They're going to see under the mask. And when they do, they're going to kick you out. And here's the truth. A lot of places will. Even if they don't kick you out, they turn their back on you, right? There's that person. What do we see from this parable? What does Jesus say? That no matter how lost you are, he will come find you. That you're so valuable that if, if I'm willing to spend an hour for a debit card, how much is he willing to sacrifice for you? I'll tell you. His life. I asked you earlier, if I were to give you a gold bar, here's the next question, and I already gave you the point, but, but think about it. Would you be willing to die yourself so your family can have $628,000? Okay, how about this? Would you be willing to give up let me kill your kids so that I can have $628,000? That's what God did. God was willing to go anywhere, everywhere. Death itself to pull us out of the muck. And not only does he pull us out of the muck, the most beautiful thing of all is he rejoices about it. He celebrates the world, the truth of being lost and found is we are all lost until we are found by Christ. All of us. And once we're found, he celebrates. And yes, he, he is proud of us, but that doesn't mean he stops celebrating the lost that come to find him, right? And we should celebrate with him because why? Our brother or sister was dead and is now alive, was lost and is now found. 
Sometimes we are so desperate to not be seen as the prodigal son that we want to spend out all our time pointing out the flaws of everyone else because if we point enough, they won't see ours. When the truth is, he already does. He sees it. He found you. He rejoices. He loves you. It doesn't matter how far you've went. Maybe you've been living a life that's not honoring to him. Maybe today's the first day you've been in church in years. You're a believer, but you, you've walked away. What if today was the day you came home and said, I want to come home. How does God respond to you? You think he begrudges? He's like, I guess you can come in. He's going to run to you. He's going to celebrate. He doesn't going to ask you where you've been. He's not going to talk about the things you've done. He's just happy that you're home. The truth about being lost and found is we were all lost until we're found. That there is no one righteous without him. And that keeps us in a very humble place, doesn't it? You see, if the comparison is always Christ, I'm, I'm never going to be the Pharisee. If the comparison is uh, Manson, yeah, maybe I'm a pretty good person. But that's not the standard. Christ is. The world's labor, labels don't matter to Jesus. The divorcee, the sinner, the mistake, the screw-up, the criminal, the felon, the liar, the cheat, doesn't matter. can all be redeemed. God can clean the muck off the gold. Your past doesn't define you. Your mistakes don't define you. Your sins don't define you. You are valuable to God. Earlier I asked if you'd be willing to die for the gold bar, would you be willing to sacrifice a family member, wife, husband, mother, father, child? No, of course you wouldn't, most of you, but God was willing to do that for you. What does that say about your worth and value? Here's the crazy thing. Even those in this room that hate him, even now the father is pleading for you to come home before it's too late. Those of you hiding symbolically right now as I say that, please hear me. Tomorrow's not promised. This might be the last time the Father is saying, come home. These parables are so encouraging to you. They should be to you. They should give you hope. They should remind you that you're never too far gone. They should remind you of the heart of God. Don't let church even trick you about who God is. Righteousness matters. Holiness matters, right? The son had to come home and live like a son, right? He didn't get to go, hey, dad, let me party, and then I'm going to go back to the foreign country. That's not how it worked. He had to come home. I recognize what I did. I don't even deserve, you know. He went a little step further. I don't, I don't even want to live in the house. Can I just live near you? Make no mistake. We have to come to the place that we recognize what we are. God doesn't, it's not that, the, that he takes the gold bar with muck and just sits it on the mantle. It's got to be cleaned. You got to be willing to admit that. But the Father's desire is to save you. Are you willing to believe that? And if you're in the room and something I said made you mad and you're sticking to, he's saying it's okay to sin, I, I warn you, brother or sister, I warn you that maybe, just maybe, you need to be paying attention to what he says about the 99. The good news is that he loves you too, even in your self-righteousness. And you can repent today too of your hard heart. There's going to be some music playing in the background. She's not going to be doing it live today because she deserves the opportunity to, to respond too. We don't do this a lot. I want to ask you some questions today. There's a lot here. I get it. Some of you that love going deep, listen, I only got so long. Come and talk to me. We can talk more about it. But let me ask you this. Do you know how valuable you are to God? 
Do you know how valuable you are? Not, don't pay attention to the music. I'm right here. Music's going to be there. Do you know how valuable you are to God? Not the words that you're supposed to say, yes, I know he died for my sins. That's good. But do you actually recognize that he finds you as valuable as the lost sheep, as the lost coin, that he will run to you today, that he loves you so much that he's willing to look foolish? Do you know that you matter? Some of you are so angry, and the truth is you're not angry because you're angry. You're angry because you're so hurt that the world's telling you you're worth nothing. And you started to believe that, so the only way you can wake up in the morning is to be angry about it. Do you know how far Jesus went for you? Do you think if he went that far for you when you didn't know him, when you were a sinner, when, the, when you were his enemy, do you think you stopped being valuable to you because you've been living in the house for a while? No. He loves you as much today as the day that the heaven rejoiced when you came home. Some of you today, as we give this opportunity to respond, might just need to let God's love wash over you. To meditate on this and, and feel it. It's real to let him hold you and remind you and tell you how much he loves you. And it doesn't matter what they said to you, that you still matter, that you're still gold. And then some of you in the room, you need to come home. You need to come home. You know it. You've been eating seeds in the, in, out in the foreign land for a long time. You're halfway there, right? Some of you come halfway home, you're like, I can see the house, so this is as far as he'll let me get. You won't even get to the front door. It's okay. If you want to go home, you just make the effort. He'll run the rest of the way. And then there's the people in this room that don't know him, right? that are truly lost, that have walked away. Here's the thing. I was thinking about this today. Because, you know, on Sundays I get caught up and like, when you've done this, it's so crazy I've done this for so long now. I'm about to get emotional. It's crazy. Think about it. And I'm like, you always try to come up with something. I got I to gotta make sure you guys are entertained, right? I got to make sure, I got to make sure you're learning something new. And I realized today, I was like, dude, I don't even like that. I just want people to know him. Because he found me when I was lost brought me to life when I was dead and it's all real and I remember being in the crowd and kind of believing that and it's funny years later looking back and saying man I didn't have a clue how real it was I, I was the prodigal son and even after I came to know him, I've done a lot of dumb stuff. I tend to run off to foreign countries a lot, and i got to come home. And every time, he's met me along the way. And sometimes the brothers and sisters aren't happy that I came home. I get it. But he always welcomes me home. The most important thing I've said today is right now. If you don't know Jesus, if you can't say if a lightning bolt or if it struck you now and you died, that when you stood before him, that he'd say, come to the place I've prepared for you. Welcome home. If you can't say that, 100%, I beg of you, 
hear me now. You have an opportunity to come home forever. The truth of the gospel is really simple. God made everything beautiful. I say it every week. And here's his gospel. So just let this sink in. He made it beautiful and perfect. We didn't have to worry. And he said, there's only one rule. You all think there was a bunch of rules. There's one. I'm God and you're not. I'll tell you what's right and wrong because you just don't know without me. That's what the tree symbolized. That's what it was. And we decided that we knew better than him. And because of that, the relationship was severed. Holiness cannot be with unholiness. Sin entered this world. It's not just the bad things you do. That's why you keep saying, well, if I do more good than bad, I'm good. No, no, no. You can take a cough drop for your cough. cough. You can take uh, Tylenol for your, your, your temperature. But at the end of the day, if you've got a virus, if you've got a cold, if you've got a sickness or a disease, that's, the symptoms won't cure the disease. And the sad truth is you are unable to cure your condition. And because of this sin, we are both separated from God. We don't live in relationship and we've wandered away from him. And thousands of years of human existence, the state of our world today is the state of a creation trying to be its own God. Brokenness and death and all of those things. That God, don't make, well, how could God send someone to hell? He didn't. We are choosing it. There's a cliff. He's like, don't walk off it. And you're walking right off of it and mad at him that he's letting you. We are separated from a holy God. We are in trouble. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. That's our situation. We are dead. We just don't know it. Listen to me, friend. If you don't know him, you're dead. You just don't know it yet. So that's our situation. But God didn't leave us there. When we couldn't make our way home, he did exactly what the Father did here. He ran to us. God invaded this world in flesh, became God made man. Jesus of Nazareth existed. It's all true. 500 people saw him after his resurrection, which we'll get to. We have clearly historical evidence of the miracles that he produced. He taught us how to live. He taught us what our home was really like. He taught us about our Father. He taught us about ourselves. He taught us about the kingdom that was and is going to come again. And here's the beautiful thing he did. He didn't just tell us that. He made it possible for us to go home. How does that happen? Well, remember, you're guilty. And before you say, well, that's not fair. Cool. I'm going to come in. I'm going to shoot your dog, kill your grandma, burn your house down, and then I'll go to the judge and say I was good one day out of the year. I was good all the other days of the year except for one, God. Okay, you're a good person. Go home. That's not justice. Justice means there has to be what? Punishment. There has to be a payment, a price paid. So God paid that for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Died. Three days later, rose from the dead. He defeated death. He stood in our place. Now here's the beautiful thing. He makes a deal. He says, if you let me stand in your place, if you let that moment, if you take my sacrifice, if you put me on, right? If you give up your life, if you come to the cross, if you can admit you're wrong, I will take your sin, your condition upon me on that cross, and I will give you, not only that, I will make you clean, but I'll give you the benefits of my perfect life so that you will forever be clean. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? You believe. 
don't leave today without being assured that you know him. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be embarrassed. What if the prodigal son had been too embarrassed to go home? Are you willing to walk 15 feet? There's going to be people up here willing to pray for you. I'm not tricking you. I could do what they did to me. Close your eyes. Who wants Jesus? And then I'm like, we're going to all go back behind that door. That's what they did to me. Imagine that. I never went to church. But I tell this story often. And then when everybody got up to go back, because I did raise my hand, someone behind me said these words that I say to you now. This is a true story. No idea who this person is. Whispered in my ear. You don't have to be afraid. That's it. That's all it took. You don't have to be afraid. Are you willing to walk 20, 50 feet for eternity? Are you willing to let go of you, your way? Because it isn't gone well, has it? Whether you're there or anywhere in between, this time is for you to respond to God. Maybe you're not in any of those places. You're in a good place. Maybe you're the elder son. Good. Then why don't you just celebrate how good your father is? Whatever you do, don't leave the same you as you came in. Because if you do, you're choosing to.